Welcome to Postwave. This is Eric. This is Trevor. Trevor, what is music? So I would say that music is what our brain creates when we, when our ears uh, perceive pressure waves in the air. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of the pressure waves in the air, but I think it's mostly what our brain is doing with that and the experience that that's creating. Okay, cool. So it's uh, deeply connected to the perception of it. Yeah, because like... Uh, even if the sound waves are, are you know, that's all that's creating music, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's this whole kind of experiential realm that they can't really explain, um, you know, entirely. <laughs> um, even though we can kind of tie that back to, you know, preference for certain harmonic ratios and, and that kind of thing. Um, it's uh, our experience of it at some level it's kind of hard to connect um completely to the physical phenomena yes and impossible to separate uh the perceiver from the experience yeah and i I just i mean i have to imagine that it's so idiosyncratic to the the way our brain evolved Mm. that you know uh kind of in the way that you know like a, a psychedelic drug will kind of like tweak certain knobs mm. in our brain. Um, I feel like music is doing maybe something similar. Um, mm. Cool. <laughs> My definition of music at the moment is sound organized by some internal logic system, a, a language of its own where you don't need to know any outside information to understand it. Yeah, say that one more time. It's a sound or sounds organized by some internal logic system, which is a language of its own where you don't need to know any outside information to understand it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it makes me think of, uh, like, wasn't it Verez who said music is organized? Uh, organized sound? Yeah, or was it... Um, yeah, because because in music school we talked about this. We talked about what is music, and we had quite a yeah. number of different definitions floated around. I've I've got some written down here yeah. that 
would love to share. Um, but one that uh, was potent for me was consciously organized or or disorganized sound. And for mm-hmm. me, that was like, oh, of course, that's what music is. And then I went home and I started listening to an audio book and I was like, shit, this is consciously ordered and disordered sound. Yeah. (laughs) It's some dude talking. There's no way this is music, at least not by my understanding of it. Yeah. But I mean, if you don't, if you don't know a language and you're just listening to someone speak it Mm. and you just like kind of follow the intonations of their voice, I mean, it's kind of like singing. It's, Mm. it's, it's just, we're singing in a way that's, that makes the, it feel like there's no definite pitch, mm-hmm. but if you actually, I mean, like, you know, and some composers like Steve Reich have done this, you know, take, uh, take speech, spoken speech and, uh, spoken, spoken with speaking. Yeah. <laughs> with words <laughs> and kind of transcribed the, the pitches mm. from them and, uh, turned those into, uh, into materials for, for a piece, which I think is really cool. And if you actually, yeah, if you pay if you pay close enough attention with most people speaking, you can kind of hear hear the pitches that are happening. Yeah, and that makes me think as well of West African languages. Um, there's some languages that are deeply rooted in being musical. You have your low tone, me- medium tone, and high tone, and to hear these people mm-hmm. speaking uh, these traditional languages, it's remarkable. It's so musical. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's actually like I know in um in like Southeast Asia where there's a bunch of languages that you know rely on pitch mm. that there's like more uh more people who are born there develop perfect mm-hmm. pitch. Yeah. Which is really interesting. <laughs> um yeah, so my my current definition, I see it it doesn't really hold water either because um, if you think about it, any language is a language where you don't need to know any outside information to understand it. Like mm-hmm. n- no one's born with the dictionary downloaded. You- you're born and you don't know how to speak and you hear people speaking and eventually you catch on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really the same thing with music. So I, I don't know how, how it's different on a fundamental level. How how is it the same with music though? Because you you can't. I mean. I guess you can you can learn theoretically just by you know, getting your instrument and watching and listening to people play, mm-hmm. and you know, but people have to teach you. I feel like. Maybe more than you have to be taught, you know. Like to speak. I mean, you have to be taught to read, mm-hmm. and like you know, write. But speaking, I feel like that. That can just be done by like immersion um are you talking about like playing music or, i, I was like... speaking ab- uh, about mm-hmm. enjoying or appreciating music but uh it's interesting that you bring up playing music because victor wooten talks about this extensively um victor wooten if you don't know is the bassist of the flectones uh, trevor mm-hmm. of course you know that <laughs> uh, yeah i know victor yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah he's, he's incredible <laughs> Um, he talks extensively about how music is a language and if you have a, a culture uh, like a, a nuclear culture like his family that he grew up in 
was a very musical family and what what they had happen was a kid before they could even play was given an instrument and give them frequent opportunity to play with very advanced professional musicians and mm-hmm. just make that a natural part of their upbringing that that kid mm-hmm. is going to become as good as Victor Wooten is on the bass <laughs> yeah that is that's true yeah if if you actually immerse them in like that kind of thing yeah and and that the approach yeah. to how we learn music in in our western culture is kind of backwards like if if we were to do that as part of the culture as we do with language like you know with language victor talks about how you have ample opportunity to just riff with advanced people who have been doing it all their lives for decades and decades and it's it's not like no one makes a big deal about it that's just how it is mm-hmm yeah yeah it, it, i mean it's, yeah especially at when you're that young your your brain is just like a sponge uh-huh. and it'll just you know <laughs> doesn't it, it, it's not scared of something being too hard for it to like yeah <laughs> get its head around uh-huh. <laughs> the way i feel like a lot of adults myself included will just like look at something and be like that's impossible <laughs> like how do you like <laughs> mm. there's there's no way i can you know my good gu- ever actually- yeah my guitar teacher when <laughs> i was growing up was really great because he wouldn't let on that anything i was doing was abnormally hard he was just like okay let's play this yeah. now and i'd see yeah i don't know if i can play that but i'd try and i'd figure out how to do it and if he told me like okay this is something hard this is a, ch- a challenge we're gonna have to work at and then gave it to me I I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny cuz I I do the opposite thing with my students. I mean, I don't tell them something is going to be hard before we do. It. I mean, sometimes sometimes I do, but if they're having a problem with something, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, this is hard." And like basically everything in music is hard mm-hmm. when you first start yeah. to do it. <laughs> like it, that's kind of the point. It just like stays the you know, gets a little bit harder, but like it's it feels like kind of the same, mostly the same level, you mm-hmm. know. And like the things you're working on are just get, you know, more complicated, but it's always like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you feel like, man, this is just like really hard uh-huh. <laughs> if, if you're doing it right, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, with decreasing returns as, as you get uh, more and more talented, you see less and less progress for the amount of effort you put in. Yeah. But I, I always, with my students, I try to save telling them that it's hard as like a backup if after they've already tried and failed and like are getting down on themselves then i'll say yeah okay it was hard but i won't let on until that happens (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i guess that's pretty much what i end up doing so um there's some other definitions of music i found some dictionary definitions um We've got some like basic ones like vocal or instrumental sounds or both combined in such a way as to produce beauty of form, harmony, and expression of emotion. That's interesting. It's so it's it's kind of saying like implying that there's always an expression involved. Yeah, and it's interesting. 
because um, it mentions emotion specifically, and I, I don't know if I can refute that. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because, like, I think I think that's more about the listener, like whether the listener is aware that music can have emotional content and that they can either like respond to it or not you know like i mean if it's if it's a song with lyrics it's harder to do to like you know hear it as just music but if it's like instrumental music um i don't know i feel like i feel like some people could you know maybe see it more objectively but everyone at a certain level like has to feel some of it yeah for sure um, the other thing I, I thought interesting about this one is that they took the time to specify vocal or instrumental sounds or both out of all of the range of sounds. And so I was thinking, what what, <laughs> what do those particular things have in common? Well, they stem from the body, from the human body. And so... Vocal and instrumental? Yeah. yeah. So so it, it, it's like if, if you assume some amount of consciousness within a human, which is debatable, but uh, if you assume that, then kind of like what they're saying is that the the sound stems from uh, from consciousness as opposed to just happening. Huh. Seems like, yeah, reading very deep into that definition, but I, I see where you're coming from with that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so another one here. A sound perceived as pleasingly harmonious. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's total BS. <laughs> yeah? You want to tear it a new one? Yeah, because, like... <laughs> <laughs> music has to be harmonious. Well, what does harmonious mean? Well, if you consider the harmonic series and all of the relationships that are possible in an infinite series, then you could consider that any sound fits somewhere within the harmonic series. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, why? <laughs> if you're going to extend the harmonic series to include every possible <laughs> pitch then why even use it because it's there you can't turn it off yeah <laughs> but i see your point i actually i i don't know like i mean the harmonic series is interesting but i i like to think about it like what music is in relationship to to like white noise hmm. because that that is like pure randomness right it's hmm. not not ordered in any way and doesn't have any like principle behind it besides just you know random yeah <laughs> um and that like basically anything other than that you have to count as music because it's being modified in some way from the hmm. like the blank canvas yeah <laughs> you know because even like pink you know pink noise is like a deviation from total it's more uh, or, like... pleasingly harmonious <laughs> to the perceiver right yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> So that comes to the question, though, of the the agent of uh, the creator of the sound. Does that have any role in whether it's music or not? Um, 
I don't think so. I mean, I mean, you could say there, there's definitely like a line in, uh, in, you know, things that were conceived and created consciously by a group of people, you know, mm. and then things that were, you know, environmental sounds that just happened randomly mm-hmm. or not randomly, but, but they, no one was coordinating saying, these are the sounds we want to make, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're going to make them at these times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, as far as the listener is concerned, those two things can kind of seem seamlessly, you know, overlap mm. and you can have, you know, things that are performed by people, uh, very, uh, very exactly and it can sound totally just you know random or like it was you know somewhat accidental but in a cool way or something Mm. um and you can also have things that were you know like crickets or birds that you know aren't meant to be synchronized really but they they it sounds like some kind of aleatoric Mm. you know uh thing with everyone kind of repeating the same patterns over and over again with like over like a background that's an interesting question though because like they are meant to be synchronized at least by the crickets for the crickets it that synchronization is not coincidental yeah that's that's true actually yeah that's uh yeah so can can a non-human entity be uh a composer a creator of music Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I have to imagine with anything like that, like with crickets, they, I don't know. It's an interesting question to think about whether they would see that as separate from language. Mm. Because like a blue whale, like when, or, you know, any kind of whale that has whale song, like, I don't know whether they would think of that as music or they think of that as just talking, mm. you know? Yeah. It makes me think about like how music must have evolved in humans. And at what point was it uh, like a synchronization activity like it is for crickets? And at what point did it become music? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's something that's like, uh, it feels like really viscerally good to be, you know, singing with people and in tune Mm -hmm. and, you know, and all just, you know, and in time too. and, and, uh, And you like feel, you feel, you know, you feel the, the harmonies kind of lock in and stuff. Mm. And um, I, th- I think that might've been, you know, that might've been some of what drew people to it. Yeah. I, I, I had the pleasure of witnessing a really remarkable natural event. Uh, and not just once uh, we, we have geese here on Martha's vineyard that migrate in the fall and uh, I'm right here on a lagoon, and so the the geese are outside my window on the water, and I was sitting there listening, and uh, you know there's just a, a random assortment of geese, and they're all calling out at different pitches and different rates, and as mm-hmm. I was well, as I was sitting there, the rates of the the geese calling started lining up with each other. They were slowly becoming Mm -hmm. more synchronized and that the pitches that Mm -hmm. they were singing, they were singing four notes and it made a dominant seventh chord. Yeah. And (laughs) as they continued to sing the, the 
all of the voices became more synchronized until they were all like at first it was kind of like and in time it got to the point where they're all doing it at the same time and once that happened mm -hmm. basically right away they all took off and flew away together <laughs> that's wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I really wonder if I haven't really thought about this actually, whether like AI is gonna crack the animal communication thing. Hmm. <laughs> or whether whether that even has meaning. You know? Cause like it's you know, it's possible we would uh kinda like happened when we, you know, tried to teach uh apes sign language, like they can kinda talk, but it's mostly not that interesting. Uh -huh. <laughs> And it's mostly just like like food and like you know like primal urge, yeah. and it's not like you know they're writing poetry or anything mm -hmm. or like you know um, they're expressing like you know complicated thoughts and desires and yeah. stuff. Um, what so like going back to the harmonic series, I think it's really interesting to think about music's relationship to math. Mm. And um, it just really fascinates me that it's kind of the universe's way of letting us perceive math hmm. on a very, you know, um, like I said, kind of inexplicable, <laughs> like, you know. Um, tangible feeling uh, level. Tangible, but also like intangible because like it's, it's there and then it's gone, you know, hmm. like. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's so beautiful that we have that mechanism just because of evolution to, to perceive all this beauty mm -hmm. just effort, effort, effortlessly. Yeah. Wow. That's definitely true. I definitely feel that I have a much deeper understanding of mathematical subjects when I consider them in, in in relationship to sound. Yeah. Like what kinds of things? Like uh, the harmonic series, um, Fourier transforms. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Even just waves. Yeah, I always... <laughs> Yeah, and I I always find like AI stuff easier to think about using musical examples hmm. because it's 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 so rich for for like pattern uh like utilizing patterns to create just kind of endless variation and and interest. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in a warehouse one time working on a project and it was pretty noisy and there was this uh, sound in the background. It sounded like somewhere off in the distance, someone was listening to trap music. All, all I could hear was the hi hat, and it was this really interesting pattern. I was grooving out to it. I was like, yeah, these people know what's going on. This is some damn good music I'm hearing right now. The pattern kept evolving in this really natural, interesting way, and then I became aware that it was just like a loose fan up in the duct. <laughs> every time i have one of those moments i i just like appreciate the hell out of it because like <laughs> it, it doesn't happen that much and and like 
and yeah because your brain like believes so much that that's the that's the source of the sound Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know before you realize that it's wrong yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that's that's always what i love about contemporary classical music or any any kind of experimental music especially if it's live if you can't really tell how the heck something is being created or you thought Mm -hmm. it was you thought the sound was one instrument, but then it like turns into something that couldn't possibly have come from that instrument. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's fun to let your brain play tricks on you. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, so another definition, vocal, instrumental, or mechanical, sounds having rhythm melody or harmony i like the melody i I like the rhythm melody or harmony yeah (laughs) it's like you know could just be one of those which is good that's although i don't know i don't really know how you have melody without rhythm (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's interesting um because i remember one time when we were talking about this in the composition seminar and jim simmons uh for the those who don't know a, a good friend of mine and very intelligent music theorist and composer and re- just a remarkable person um, spoke up and said that it wasn't music to him it, it didn't count as music unless it had sound uh, it was sounds having rhythm melody and harmony all three of them <laughs> Bold, bold move, bold claim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I kind of get, like, if you have, like, a piece just for drum set and it, it's, like, wholly percussive, for me, like, it's it's interesting and I could admire the technicality and enjoy the rhythms to some extent, but it, it's not musical in the same sense. Yeah. Um... Although you could say that the the melody and the harmony of something on on drum set is just like the harmonics of the toms sure. when you're hitting them and then like of the cymbals and like that actually is I mean that that gets to the question of like uh what is uh what is the difference between harmony and rhythm and single pitches mm-hmm. because they're all just kind of rhythm at different speeds yeah <laughs> or in different different ratios right <laughs> um, absolutely yeah <laughs> if you have a frequency below 20 hertz it's a rhythm and if you're above 20 hertz then it's a, a pitch yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then if you have multiple rhythms going out at the same time it's it's a harmony <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah so one thing I um I wanted to ask you about is what you think about the whole question of whether music is a universal language. Hmm. Wow, interesting. Um yes, in some regards, but universal only to the extent that you you have to have a, a certain degree of open-mindedness in order to appreciate it because um, you can have music that is entirely unrelatable to people um, 
people who are looking for a particular thing but if that person is willing to accept mm -hmm. any possibility and engage with the music be, for that music being what it is as opposed to looking for it to be something else then it's it's possible to understand that music without having any any background in that particular formal language that the music is written in totally totally yeah yeah i agree people have to like at the very least like know how to open themselves up in the like uh in the way that'll result in them getting the like the intent behind the music mm -hmm. <laughs> um although like um I mean, that'll, I think that only goes if it's, uh, you know, something that's so out of the normal, what they would normally listen to, um, you know, so much, so much different from what they normally listen to that, um, that it takes a lot of effort to kind of figure out what, you know, what the intent was behind the music or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. But maybe, do you think intent is important? That's a good like, question. Do you think in, um, I think it has some importance, but, uh, as we've talked about already, that maybe the greater importance is in the, per what the perceiver derives from it, mm -hmm. but that probably there is a correlation between intention within the composer and the amount of perceivable value. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea is kind of that, you know the composer knows more or less what they're they're going for in the listener and if they're a good composer then the that's exactly what the listener is, <laughs> is experiencing you know uh -huh. um is that yeah is that universal though because that's definitely true about like contemporary classical culture but is that true for like freeform jazz uh yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess some some genres kind of open themselves up to just being, you know, open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and I feel like honestly, I feel like contemporary classical music, like there, there are some, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of being a good at your craft uh, type thing to, you know, be able to to know how music affects people to actually, you know, uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I don't think it's, it's, uh, it doesn't always have to be that way. And I think it's just, especially since like, um, a lot of contemporary classical music, like spectralism is so con concerned with like, uh, perception mm. of sound itself. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a lot of people are, are, are fascinated by kind of the subjective aspects of it, like inherently.
so to answer your question, Trevor, yes, I do think that music is a fundamental language because it's a language based in the simple fundamental phenomena of waves, which can be used to describe all of existence. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, the the you know, what your ear is doing is turning pressure waves in the air into electrical signals, mm. which, you know, are the same kind of one-dimensional wave you were talking about, where it's just a, it's a, a value between, you know, <laughs> zero and one, or however yeah, you want to think one about it. One or, yeah. yeah, negative one and one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like reducing information into the lowest number of dimensions that can hold it. Mm-hmm. And in that way, that's fundamental. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when you get down to, you know, microscopic uh, quantum scales, everything kind of turns into into waves and, and mm-hmm. kind of probability, you know, distributions and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, something about that, the, the idea of a wave seems very fundamental to, to just the way the universe mm-hmm works yeah you can have a a single waveform to describe the position or velocity or whatever of one particle and then you can have a complex waveform that describes uh, entangled particles uh, mm-hmm. to, to the point where it becomes mathematically sound and uh can be be like a relevant uh way to look at the the world that any object that exists can be described as a complex wave function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that whole idea just blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that they all and that they all like you know somehow overlap and create this bigger wave function that's mm-hmm. you know because they're all entangled with each other. Yeah, so, yeah. So there's <laughs> there's one wave function that describes the entire universe. Yeah. Gong. <laughs> the universe is just uh, some monk hitting a gong somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was curious uh, if you remember any early formative musical experiences you had, whether it was listening to something or seeing a concert or playing somewhere, performing or a lesson or something. Hmm. Yeah. Well, aside from when I was like six and seven and wanted to be a, a rock star like Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I <didn't> know that. <laughs> yeah. And Eric Clapton, but mostly because he had the same name as me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there were a, a number of really powerful music lessons that I had when learning an instrument, but I feel like most of those had more to do with the satisfaction of being good at something. And... Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I got, like... I mean, it was, it was cool to be able to, yeah, like cool and satisfying to be able to do things that, that, you know, sounded 
interesting and cool that other people would you know be impressed with yeah exactly <laughs> but i don't think i don't think i would you know i wasn't really uh fascinated with just like music for its own sake for i think probably until probably until like middle school i think mm. i don't know um yeah it took me well until late in high school i think to come to the point where my musical practice became a sort of meditative practice uh like a, a, a centering activity that helped helped me organize my thoughts and mm-hmm. keep me sane you said that was in high school late high school maybe even going yeah. to early college yeah before i finally had that breakthrough yeah it's interesting tell me about uh your middle school experience so uh I don't know if there's anything special about middle school, but I remember uh, uh, I'd been playing trumpet for like, uh, I started trumpet in fourth grade. So by the time I got to middle school, I'd been playing for a couple years. And I think in seventh grade, my dad gave me a copy of Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. And uh, I listened to that a lot. <laughs> mm. And um, and then I just kind of started to buy a bunch of cds <laughs> and you know listen to started listening to a bunch of, bunch of jazz and i i had my dad's old uh jazz history book it was just like laying around the house and i'd like usually just like crack it open to a random page and you know start mm-hmm. reading and whatever and um yeah so that was the first time i kind of just got super interested in something music related and just kind of went off on my own and like you know um mm. uh kind of went as far as far as i wanted to that's really cool (laughs) i did have in high school uh, a remarkable fascination with unusual musical instruments yeah i went through a lot of research uh just poking around on wikipedia and google and stuff just trying to find all the weirdest instruments and catalog oh that's yeah. I, I think I went through a phase like that too, <laughs> like looking at pictures of like the the largest saxophone in the uh, world, and like yeah, the the contra contra bass uh, sax or whatever. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> yeah. trombone multi pavilions might be my favorite visually. Uh. <laughs> look, look it up. Go, go to Google now. Type in trombone multi pavilions. This is an instrument invented by Adolf Sax. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty aw- it's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's uh man. <laughs> Talk about ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know if it's ridiculous because I don't really know how it works. Like maybe it I mean, it looks pretty badass honestly, like uh-huh. <laughs> I think the idea was it was it was like a trombone, but you had valves instead of a, a slide, and then you uh-huh. had a tube for each note. Oh, each diatonic note. Interesting. So, so that each one would be perfectly in tune. I see. That's, but I'm sure it was heavy as fuck. That's exactly the problem <laughs> with it. <laughs> Too heavy to hold. I think that kind of gets at one of the things I love most about music, which is just kind of the endless exploration of it and that Hmm. you know there's just people have been doing it for so long and so many people have been doing it for so long that 
Like, there's no way you could possibly know, you know, everything about it within one lifetime. Yeah. You know? Um, or, or maybe that there's even infinite variations that as we continue to create, there's no point at which the well will run dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, because um, we, well, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> sure, is there a Planck length? Well, no, I mean, yeah, like, minimum length. No, I mean, but there, there is, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, you can always do the thing where uh, it's infinite because you can always add a note to the end of the other, you know, the previous piece, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, but like, in terms of of actually like unique sonic experiences within a certain time time mm -hmm. frame, that actually is a limited uh, set of things. I think it would be really. I mean, it's it's it gigantic, the... but it's it's uh, it's still. I think it would still be limited. I don't know. I don't know about that. I feel like it might be infinite. Uh, I don't know about time scale. I don't know about on a limited time scale. But I I think that maybe 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 just that on an unlimited time scale, without the need for ped pedantic like add one note on, mm -hmm. you can still have meaningful unique expression going on infinitely yeah yeah and the reason why the reason why i think that is that because the 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 way that music is structured built upon waves which is directly analogous to the way that the universe works is that to exist as as an entity in the universe like your point in the universe in this particular point in space time is unique, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's never going to occur exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Even if you have infinite time, infinite things generating, you're never going to have that exact same moment back. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly thinking along the lines of if we get uh, AI that can generate, you know, from, from like you know with no sampling no kind of midi happening mm -hmm. at all just you know from like you know samples in the in the the AIF file <laughs> you know just uh -huh. directly generate you know things that sound like polished pop songs and you know orchestra pieces like like yeah. um something like that could conceivably generate you know all possible or like a very large you know space of possibility you know that includes uh, what would seem to us to be ex exhaustive. <laughs> Certainly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and especially because what we would find musically appealing or gratifying is, I think, a very limited subset of all those possible forms of expression. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know about you, but this is kind of... Uh, especially since leaving school, but uh, it can be easy to just, uh, especially if you've been playing one genre of music for a long time, it can be easy to get, to get jaded with it because um, uh, a lot of it seems like the same formulas over and over again with, yeah. you know, and you, you kind of, you know, you can expect what's going to happen in the next bar of a piece, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 
kind of you know pretty regularly well <laughs> um mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean like that genre is bad i mean every every genre has that you know it has like its tropes and it's you know it's kind of its stock uh you know forms and everything well i'll tell you what it ain't music unless it has a one four five chord progression <laughs> <laughs> gotta go one four and then five sometimes just one and five <laughs> country music (laughs) there's nothing wrong with three chords I mean like gets gets the job done (laughs) (laughs) yeah honestly like like you know I I love playing blues and and like part of part of what I I think makes blues cool is that it's it's almost entirely dominant seventh chords or like the basic Mm. structure of it is and uh and that's you know it's kind of what you get if you uh if you go up the harmonic series um that's like the first yeah. that's like the yeah basically the, the default chord of nature is a is a dominant seventh chord which is really interesting <laughs> um yeah absolutely but yeah the fact that the blues is that is that harmony like most of the time i think is just like pretty cool <laughs> um yeah and isn't it true that the blues evolved with uh uh or, or stemmed from people playing guitars with their own unique micro tuning uh so that it was often in line with the harmonic series more so than equal temperament oh i didn't know that that's super cool <laughs> yeah. But, yeah i mean you just have like a dude sitting in, in the dirt floor of a shack with his guitar that it has it's not that it's been untuned, but that he just tuned it to his own ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I and there's like, there's something, yeah, I mean, there's something about that that is totally unique. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and blues is definitely, I mean, a lot of folk music is this way, but blues especially is like microtonal a lot of the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, with and, th- and th- those unique... Tambr- uh, un- unique sam- sounds that e- each individual artist creates this they're so captivating and effective yeah 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 that, this is something i think a lot of, uh, about a lot with especially pop music today is uh it's so much focused on the, the timbre of things yeah you know and like and like like you know any any kind of pop vocal stuff which is you know all all kind of can be traced back to to blues you know more or less um yeah <laughs> is uh is like that <laughs> wow oh fascinating huh. i mean you know they're also they're also you know the people who sound like you know or like they're, you know there's like the 10 people who all kind of sound the same but uh you know then they're also mm-hmm. you know people within uh within those genres that are just you know they're so much of what makes them successful is just that they sound like no one else, you know. Um, like who? I don't know. Like, uh, like Thundercat. Anyway, he he like he uses this falsetto voice that's just like no one else sounds like that, and just kind of like his inflections and stuff. Um. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm into it. It's it's really good. But yeah, I mean him, you know, like Cedric Bixler's of all from the Mars Volta, 
Getty Lee from Rush, John Anderson from Yes. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of like the rock singers I like have really weird, not weird voices, but again, like no one else sounds like them, and and not everyone's like into it. <laughs> like Don hmm. Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, too. I, I feel like that's kind of the same way. He just has really weird like vocal inflections and uh, hmm. just kind of bes- Bjork. Yeah, Bjork. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally see what you mean. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think are the things that music does for society? Mm. Um. Well, definitely, I think the largest force of of why why it has become a part of society is that it has a remarkable ability to create social cohesion. Mm-hmm where you have individuals with reasons to have conflict and yet you have this glue that kind of holds everyone together and says yeah okay i can i can exist despite my grievances with you or my differences with you huh yeah i think i i get where you're where you're going with that i guess it's um I, I think it's it's kind of a um, complicated connection between those two things, um, or at least, um, or it's like indirect, or it's um, because I I don't think you know people are you know especially now. Uh, people don't really think of art or music as like uniting people across divides so much just because everything Mm -hmm. is so politicized. Like, you know, um, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there, you know, there are tons of artists. I'm I'm sure, you know, most artists have, you know, pretty, uh, at least, you know, mildly diverse fan base bases, Mm -hmm. depending on who the person, who the person is. Um, (laughs) um, but I, I do think it is, you know, um, like art, taste and art tends to be pretty, uh, segregated by politics to some extent. Hmm. Yeah. Although I think that may just be a artifact of our particularly intentionally divisive culture that it, it's not a natural thing that's arisen but it's something that's been carefully manipulated by people who uh feel that they have more to gain by keeping the populace divided yeah although i mean i think you've always kind of had the you know the art in the courts for the royalty and then you know the, the folk musicians making music <laughs> And the people in the yeah. court claiming that their music is so much better, and you know, <laughs> um, uh, so I feel like that's uh, that's part of it. You know, it's it's maybe it's more of like a class type thing because mm. you know it's it's uh, like it's the perception that only rich people listen to classical music, or um, you know, I wonder how that's aged though because. I totally don't feel like that's the case anymore. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure our generation that that's totally gonna get 
flipped. Um, mm -hmm. Although I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's hard for either of us to really have an accurate um, perception of what the average person's taste in music is right now, mm. because like we're so surrounded with people who have very similar kind of eclectic tastes to us. And so it seems like that's, you know, that's most people. Mm. But yeah. But you, you just, you think people in general are, are becoming more open to other kinds of music. I don't know if there's an opening trend. I'd like to think so, but um, I think regardless within a community that music has the remarkable feat of making people cohere. Mm -hmm. um, even also on the on the level of creating music, mm -hmm. like you, you know that choirs that with their regularized uh, synchronous breathing, that their heart rates actually become synchronized mm -hmm. with each other. Um, and that that can extend actually to other effects even so much so that uh hormones can be synchronized yeah i, I believe it yeah mm. yeah I, th I think it's really beautiful like if you think about the fact that you know everyone's brains are kind of concentrated on the same thing mm. and you know literally like per, you know your entire nervous system is involved in this thing and it is kind of like you're in this creature that's that's purpose is to create the sound and yeah you, know, you surrender your individual identity to become part of the group yeah the group the, the beast yeah. that is creating the sound yeah <laughs> yeah that we can kind of you know uh it's not quite telepathy but we can we can synchronize our our actions so so carefully um that it's that it seems magical this is actually something i wanted to uh talk about is like uh when uh when there's music that's really rhythmic or you know lots of very small subdivisions mm -hmm. um i feel like that uh that what that's showing you is very empirically and you know objectively as possible where time is you know at those moments <laughs> And yeah, and for everyone in the room, that they're agreeing more or less on where those time, you know, steps are happening, hmm. and it's kind of amazing because like that, like you know, when else are you gonna perceive time as exactly as like you know a string of like thirty second notes that you know that yeah. the drummers the drummers playing right? Like if you think uh -huh. about how exact of a of a <laughs> marking of time that is, <laughs> uh huh, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a really fascinating point. Um, but I, that's that's I feel like that's one of the other powerful things about uh, music and in a group is that it it kind of unifies people's uh, perception of of time in an yeah, interesting that's fascinating. way. It's it's really cool though. Uh, I I think our our internal clocks are much more powerful than we give them credit for. Uh, have you ever had the experience where you? go to bed and set your alarm and then after a few days of that uh waking up at the same time you begin to wake up just like a minute before your alarm yeah, goes off yeah totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah. how do you predict out of nine hours of rest down to the minute <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> Although, I mean, you know, there's stuff like that. That's I, I, that's like the circadian. I don't know if that's the right word, but whatever part of your brain is that that creates the circadian rhythm. Um, mm. that that's like one clock, and then you have this other clock that's like your conscious perception of time, which is way all over the place as far as you know how long something seems based on how much attention you're paying to it or yeah. you know what what your emotions are like or you know what the mm. situ- you know whether it's stressful or not um how close it is to the end of the school year yeah <laughs> how old you are uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but it's interesting i actually uh i haven't read victor Wood- Victor Wooten's autobiography, but I, I know he talks in it about playing like metronome games, where mm-hmm. you like uh <laughs> you put the metronome on something ridiculous like you know one beat per, per thirty seconds, and then just tr- try to keep the you know the pulse in your head, and then just like hit it exactly on the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did read it the the music lesson. There's a a scene where he talks about this uh fictional kid who comes into his house and says all right well uh, he you know he shows off how good of a drummer he is and he goes and puts on a metronome on headphones uh takes off the headphones puts puts it on victor wooten uh hits a downbeat walks into the kitchen <laughs> pours himself of a glass of orange juice comes back right on the downbeat yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's also so amazing that that level of uh precision with time and and uh and pitch and just uh you know dexterity with whatever you're using to you know create the sounds that that can be so much of it can be internalized and just you know very quickly just you know you can just spit out a bunch of really complex information with you know with you know your fingers or your arms or whatever that you know mm. you can uh you know play an entire you know beethoven sonata like how how many however many bits of information that is you know just instantly mm. just you know without if you haven't memorized it it kind of feels you know it can feel effortless and it's just, you know, um, yeah, something that's, that's, uh, wired into your brain. Such a gratifying experience. Do you remember the first time you're playing something really difficult on your instrument and you, you, you reach that sort of Zen moment where you separate from yourself as the actor doing that. And you're just looking at your hands doing all these like, crazy movements and hitting every note and you're just like holy shit how am who's doing that (laughs) yeah yeah how's this happening it's funny i don't i don't know if i really had a moment like that that i can remember i mean really i mean honestly yeah i mean it it might have happened somewhere in high school when i uh Actually, it was it was probably in high school because like I started I started playing. That's when I started playing like WC and Chopin for the first time, mm. and where it was, you know, my hands kind of knew where a bunch of things were that my brain didn't. Yeah, and uh, 
yeah it was probably yeah do, do you know uh chopin's nocturne in in e flat yeah, yeah, yeah probably can't remember but um <laughs> yeah that piece was one of the first chopin pieces i tried to learn and, and there's a bunch of like leaps in the left hand mm. for like the bass note and the chords and uh you kind of have it has to be like a muscle memory thing yeah It's in, it's interesting you said zen like cuz it doesn't it it can be zen like but it can also be just you're thinking about something else and then you know uh, <laughs> you're still you're still playing and actually I I I I kind of use that when I'm practicing, you know, mm. if like I'm I'm working on something that's really hard, so okay, let me slow it down. Let me repeat it until I don't have to think about it and then uh mm. at some point you know when you're repeating it and you're still like working on it and then your brain will just kind of gradually start thinking of something else and you'll still be doing mm -hmm. it. You'll be like, "Okay, now I can move on i have that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i i use the same sort of technique um it, 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 quite often it's useful when i'm trying to remember uh, a song that i used to know and i know it's still in there but you you go back and you play a short distance of it and then you get to a spot and you're like shit i don't know where it goes from here yeah <laughs> but, but you know you know it so what you what works for me is to to stop start again and zone out and just th think about nothing yeah <laughs> uh, or or just think about anything yeah and then you'll notice oh i just played the whole song <laughs> yeah <laughs> do that a couple times and then you'll it'll bring it to the forefront and... yeah <laughs> yeah i <laughs> i've you know i'm sure you've had your share of like memory slips on stage uh-huh <laughs> Did I do the repeat? I better do it again just to be sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's it's not really stuff like that. I mean, for me, I I'm I've done stuff like that for sure. But um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've done stuff like that, you know, so many times. But um, the the ones I'm thinking about are, you know, that like the the it's like you know a piece I've been practicing for literally like months, if not mm -hmm. years, and I yeah. I've played it so many times. I I feel like I know it the like the back of my hand. But at some point during the performance, I look down and I'm like, I don't know what my left hand is doing here. I know what my right hand is doing, but what the hell is my left hand supposed to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I've definitely it's... had that that experience. <laughs> it, yeah, it's interesting because you can it's usually just like there's this one little bit of information that you're not remembering and that's preventing you mm -hmm. from getting a, you know to the next part and if if someone just gave you could give you magically that little piece that you're missing you'd be like mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah blah 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 and like you know <laughs> yeah of course, spit the rest yeah. of it out um Yeah, and it's I I, I <laughs> in some ways performing has gotten easier as I as I've performed more, but in some ways I just get more in my own head sometimes. Really? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, and part part of it is is honestly like the the actually stressful performances I have are actually like uh kind of few and far between, uh and. Uh, so every time I, I sit down to perform, it's like, okay, let me have the right mindset, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm not as, I, cause I'm, I'm used to like performing in like 
you know, mildly like pretty pretty low stakes, but it's it's always like, oh, it's embarrassing if I mess up, like it's a rehearsal, right? Like yeah. I don't want to be messing up, but if I mess up, it's not the end of the world. So yeah. I I'm in a lot of situations like that, and then like only very rarely now am I in the actual like I'm on stage performing, you know, this mm. better be good. I don't want to, you know, make a fool of myself. Um yeah. and yeah, whenever I feel like whenever that happens now, I I kind of um. It's it's like I know I I don't want to get into my own head, so I get into my own head, <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I I mean the 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 trick with that is just I I just try to just concentrate, like completely on the music, like just the notes and just how I'm gonna play them, and you know just you know zone everything out and, um. But. Hmm. I feel like it's a lot. It's usually somewhere in the middle of the piece where I my my brain starts to go, you know, <laughs> kind of spinning off, especially if, if there's like a little flub or something. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of yeah, not think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I find that the more I practice and the, mo the more I have experiences like that, uh, the more I can practice intentionally so that, because uh, what that does is it, it just reveals like, oh, this is a part that I don't know as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been just coasting by it, yeah. filling it in, but it's not like uh, a cornerstone of my understanding of this piece. Yeah. And when, when you start to recognize that you have those little blind spots that when you when you go to practice, you can start to iron them out. Totally. Yeah. And it is just kind of a matter of like weeding out those little like holes in your mm -hmm. in your memory uh, yeah it's yeah it's interesting you mentioned that the the term blind spot because i i feel like that's um that's something i like that happens a lot in like when you're teaching someone to read sheet music and even me like if there's really dense you know music notation like sometimes you just li literally won't see things because they you know there's so much information there and your your yeah. brain is just will just like filter it out yeah. <laughs> um yeah that, that's one of the ways i i, I feel like music kind of gives you a, a a window into the way your, your brain works in the same way that like language language does because it's uh it's the same kind of uh like symbolic representation of of something yeah definitely I'm I'm teaching a class right now, uh, a, like introductory free class through the library of beginner ukulele and guitar, and uh, themed uh, on the, focusing on music as a mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. And one thing that uh, was pertinent uh, for this class was uh, this metaphor that has arisen in certain meditative practices uh, cultures uh maybe you've heard of having the metaphor of a garden it's sort of like a, a sacred space within yourself that you cultivate um you, you know you you go through the effort to to keep it growing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just you you come back to it every day mm -hmm. and that creates this sanctuary this safe peaceful space where where chaos can't can't enter in yeah um, yeah i think i've heard about about something like that and it, it's exactly the same thing with music it's when you when you practice you're 
you're cultivating that garden, you're engaging with music, which is inherently a structured uh, and organizing principle. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're, you're like creating a place where the the harmony can enter, but where disorder cannot. Right. Yeah, you're, you're kind of you're kind of using your your will to to separate separate things that you know are that that you you think are are like aesthetically pleasing and aesthetically not pleasing. You're kind of able to make those distinctions. Yeah, and 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 it even goes to the level of like for example, learning a particular piece of music and learning to play it accurately. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you first start out, you're not hitting the beats on time Mm -hmm. and you work at it and work at it and you're weeding out that inaccuracy to the point where you can get it and you can play every note precisely on time Mm -hmm. you've created an ordered structure this piece of music Mm -hmm. that when you play it there's no room for that disorder to get in there there's no you're not going to miss the note because you know it Mm -hmm. totally that reminds me of when i went to this summer program for new music uh specifically contemporary vocal music in la this past summer and uh we did like a meditation exercise with everyone pretty much every day at the beginning of of the day and Mm -hmm. um david the guy who's leading it uh who's leading the whole like workshop concert thing um he he would always ask us to picture like a a mind palace and like a room within the the Mm -hmm. mind palace and yeah. then we were also supposed to like uh imagine some kind of like manifestation of our our emotions so you know like the fear sadness uh joy but the idea was that there's a part of that that's you know that's your sanctuary and there's another another part of it where these emotions kind of exist and um okay. and you can kind of use that to focus your music making i i do think there there's is something to the fact though that um it's not that you need to be totally, you know, like a well-balanced person who's, you know, got all their demons in check to, you know, create music. But like, there's mm-hmm. a there's a really interesting relationship there between, you know, on the one hand, you can't really create much if your life is such a chaotic mess that you literally don't have the time or the energy, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, a lot of people would probably say that if you're have, living like a totally comfortable, just, you know, everything is is provided to you and you don't really have to, um, you know, nothing's nothing is really at risk and and you're just kind of living like a sheltered life, then then it's it's very possible that your your music won't be quite as as uh, meaningful That's as it could surreal. have been. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so like the the place where that disorder and order meets is where meaningful music is created. Maybe something like that. I think it's. I think I'm more thinking along thinking along the lines of uh, just you know if if you're thinking about the emotions in your head, um, like how for lack of, for lack of a better term, how out of whack do they have to be, you know, <laughs> to like to create interesting things that are happening, like create interesting interesting music hmm. um maybe out of, out of whack is a, is a right word but I, I mean obviously if if all your emotions are are like flat then you know 
And you get Arvo Pert. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that, that. You know, that's a weird way of mispronouncing Milton Babbitt's name. <laughs> he, he has some good music. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I was just you know talking though about how there is there is some music that that can be like non emotional. So I guess that's not really, um, that, I mean that's not the only way to look at it. But as far as like a, um, I guess I'm thinking about it more from like the the standpoint of inspiration. You know, like are you gonna feel inspired if your emotions aren't you know kind of stimulated in some way? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it depends depends on the viewer again, the listener. Yeah. I will say though that having a a musical practice is the number one thing that has kept me sane and helped me regulate my emotions and cultivate patience and and clarity of thought. Yeah, totally. And just yeah, like you were saying kind of a, a practice that you come back to every day and and cultivate it's just uh yeah it's it's a very very good way to just kind of take it one day at a time yeah because because we as humans have a tendency to uh latch on to things to obsess over we're, we're compulsive creatures mm-hmm. and it what whatever there is if there's space in your life that space is gonna get filled up by something we're gonna mm-hmm. latch on to something if it's video games or TV or sports or, or anything. And so I think it's a really powerful thing to latch on to something that is uh, an organizing structure. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, you're, it's like you're harnessing all of that energy of compulsion and routing it into creating something that is other than compulsion yeah yeah i mean it's like any you know i don't want to use the word hobby but anything that you're making like gradual but concerted and regular effort to to get to you know some kind of beautiful thing that that couldn't just be you know randomly uh created if you follow just you know your 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 desire for instant gratification you know at every point Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah, there's something there's something powerful about that. Yeah. So I think one of the most fascinating things for me about music compared to other art is its uh its impermanence, right? Hmm. And it's kind of transitory by nature just because it uh sound can only exist, you know, as a as a movement of something. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, even more than something like, you know, dance or theater uh, that still involves moving through time Mm. um, because music is essentially invisible. Like there's some other layer on there of of just kind of ineffability. Yeah. Yeah. And just because it's it's so tied to the, the present moment and it only exists there. And it's it's only through the memory of this string of present moments that we 
have something we can call like a unified piece you know or a unified yeah piece of music yeah it's the attention to each individual moment that creates the the perception of a unified piece mm -hmm. whereas if we were waiting to get to the end like like alan watts says like what's the point of music is it to get to the end if that were the case then the conductors who can do it the fastest would be the best ones <laughs> or better yet just cut out and play the last chord <laughs> you've, you've seen that math problem that that goes around right where it's like if a orchestra of 60 musicians takes an hour and a half to perform beethoven's ninth symphony how, how fast can 120 musicians perform it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I would I would I would pay to see an orchestra perform Beethoven at like one point five speed. <laughs> or like or like, you know, point point five speed or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> double speed, double orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd pay to see that. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't uh everyone who's listening to it at the same time is kind of on a level playing field. Like in order to experience the piece in its entirety, you, know, you can't speed up time and get to the end of it. You have to wait just along with everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's yeah, there's no way to judge it, you know. Truly, until, until you, you get to yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like reading a book in in that you know if it's really long and you get to the end, it might not feel like it was worth it. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it it always reminds me when I when I think about like long pieces, about you know just hiking to a to a a distant mountain or something that you know you have to hike at least a day to get to at all. Mm. Um, oh wow! And that you know how how many people actually get to see that? Um, and it's it's not the same. You know, I, I would consider, you know, scrubbing along to the midpoint of the song as like a picture of <laughs> the mountain or something. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Um, like uh Yeah, there, there's something about about getting up to that point naturally and like the state your mind is in and then uh what you experience at that moment is unique to you having experienced the whole thing that came before. Yeah, it's all part of the same experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 